Welcome to Sportsbeat KC, the Kansas City Star's daily sports podcast. It's Wednesday, October 19th, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. Another week, another Big 12 game of the year. This time, it's Kansas State at TCU on Saturday. These are the final undefeated teams remaining in conference play. Both are 3-0. The Horde Frogs are ranked 8th nationally and are 6-0 overall. K-State's ranked 17th and stands 5-1. I wouldn't be surprised if these purple-clad teams had a rematch in the Big 12 championship game. On today's show, we preview the game with the team's beat writers, Stephen Johnson and Kellis Robinette. Stephen covers the Horn Frogs for the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, and Kellis has been covering the Wildcats for years for the Wichita Eagle and Kansas City Star. They break down the matchup between a terrific offensive team in TCU and a great defensive and ball control team in Kansas State. After a break, you'll hear from new Big 12 Commissioner Brett Yormark. He spoke to the media at Big 12 Women's Basketball Media Day in Kansas City this week and had some interesting comments. For instance, he said he believes the Big 12 can make more money from its TV contract after Texas and Oklahoma leave for the SEC. The comments were made in something of a media scrum, so plenty of topics were covered. Okay, let's get started with Stephen Johnson and Kellis Robinette talking about one of the biggest games in the country this weekend, Kansas State at TCU. It's the game of the year this week in Big 12. Seems like TCU's been involved in the games of the year in the Big 12 every week here for the last few weeks. Kansas with the game day and then Oklahoma State last week and and now Kansas State. Stephen, what... um, uh, your first year covering TCU, and you haven't seen a loss yet. Uh, why is this team so good? Um, I, I think really the mentality that Sonny Dykes and the rest of the staff have kind of just brought in at the program, just, it's really just kind of helped them, I think. It seemed like at the end of the Gary Patterson tenure, there just needs to be a new voice, some new energy. Obviously, it helps they have a really great kind of offensive scheme now. It's a little, I think it's a little bit more simpler. Uh, they stick to what they do consistently on a week-by-week basis, and now – I think they lead the country in the percentage of plays that go for at least 15 yards, aka big plays. I know they're like top three in yards per play, total offense scoring, and things like that. So obviously, you've seen the offense take a major jump, but I just think the overall mentality, um, what they do with their nutrition, how they kind of operate leading up to games, those smaller things have kind of helped just as much as you've kind of seen with the scheme on offense and on defense, where they've made they're they're a little bit better. They've made some strides um, on that side of the ball compared to where they were last year too. And look, I, if there's a defining win, I, or at least in my mind, maybe you too, Kellis, it was when they beat Oklahoma as badly as they did. K-State had beaten Oklahoma, mm-hmm. um, and then the next week, TCU went and kind of just destroyed them. Mm-hmm. Uh, in your mind, is that when um, maybe uh, TCU changed in the national perspe- perception a little bit? Um, to, I, I think so a little bit. Um, I think the fact that Oklahoma lost to Kansas State last week maybe not dimmed the win in a sense, but to me, the way they came back last week against Oklahoma State, that to me really signified that, hey, they're not just a good, you know, they could be a pretty good team in, in the Big 12. They like a team that could actually win the entire conference, and who knows, you know, they still have a tough back-end schedule, but they look like a team that can really compete to go to, hey, a New Year's Six Bowl, compete for a conference championship. Just to go down to a team that beat them by 46 last year, I was in, I was in the press box. I was in that stadium. I know for a fact some people thought it's going to be similar to last year. Just to be, the way they were able to come back 
and the fact that the defense held Oklahoma State to 32 yards of offense in the fourth quarter, and eventually the offense got rolling, that was the win to me that was the signature one that kind of let me know, like, hey, these guys are legit. They're a for real team. Kellis, K-State's got the same ambitions, don't they? Um, conference and and even the college football playoff. They're not out of anything. 17th rank going into this game. They do, and it's uh, kind of funny that we get uh, everybody's two favorite Big 12 sleepers are meeting this week when they're both undefeated in the conference. The winner emerges as uh, first place all alone next week, so think about that. Um, but, yeah, preseason, everybody everybody was talking Kansas State. you got to get on them. They're the team that's going to surprise. Same with TCU. Um, if they can figure things out, they're going to be right there with them. Lo and behold, here we are. They both made Oklahoma look really bad. Um, so now we get to see who's the best between them. The interesting thing about this game to me is that um, just the timing of it, I think, is um, really fascinating because you've got TCU, who obviously is just cranking out these wins, but at the same time it comes against, like we said, Oklahoma high-profile game, Kansas game day, Oklahoma State, they got to rally and win a double overtime. Um, do all those wins in succession mean anything here? Does it help their momentum, or are they finally – due for a letdown where they just can't get up and play this magical game four weeks in a row, whereas Kansas State was on. They've already played Iowa State. They've had the rock fight game where they survive it. They get a week off. Now they come in fresh. Does that favor one team or the other? You could really uh, argue it both ways. So that's one thing I'm going to be keeping an eye on. What do you think, Steve? What um, uh, does uh, – it it really is – in college football, so much emotion, right? And Mm. Three weeks in a row, uh, TCU, highest of highs. Last week was phenomenal. I mean, the, the Oklahoma State comeback and and uh, and then the, you know the, the post game scene. I mean, all that stuff was fantastic. Is this a team that can maintain the you know a, a, an emotional edge week after week? So far, I think they've done it. They've honestly been for at least for their program, they've been in four straight high profile games. Even once you include the SMU with all oh, the that, exactly yeah, you're right the, the yeah. iron skillet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and that was with all the chatter around Sonny Dykes and some of the the rivalry noise and things like that, that was a big emotional game for them as well, too. So what they really have emphasized, what they've really been preaching is to treat each week like its own like its own week. Like what you did against Oklahoma State, they said it immediately after the game, Kansas State isn't going to care. Uh, nobody really cares what you did last week. So what have you done for me now? I mean, recently type of business. So I think the team has done a great job so far. But, you know, I think it is a fair question to wonder, can you do it for a fifth straight week against a team that I think stylistically – is a type of team that can kind of give them trouble with the way Kansas State can run the ball. Obviously, they have a great defense. So I think TCU has the mental capacity to do it. Um, it's just I think Kansas State is – them and probably I would say are the two teams I would say might be the toughest matchups for them just style-wise. Yeah, this is, I think, the first true defensive test TCU is going to play this season. Like Oklahoma – I mean, they've totally given up on defense. You saw it against Kansas last week. They went in that game and said, we are scoring 50 points in this game or we are losing. <laughs> they had pedal to the metal the whole way. They knew it. They, anybody can score in Oklahoma. TCU did it. K-State did it. KU did it. Um, Oklahoma State, you know, they're all offense too. So now how do they handle a team that's going to come in and try to win with defense? Um, I don't know if Kansas State is quite as good as Iowa State. They can't turn every game into a rock fight like the clones. They're the masters of it. Um, but Kansas State's strong up front. They got healthy during the bye week. They're strong in the back end. Same deal, they got healthy during the bye week. So that, to me, is another interesting matchup. Like you said, you got two conflicting styles here, one team trying to run it and pound down the other team's throat, play some defense. The other team wants to come out and, and win you know, with offense. So that might be one other thing to keep an eye on here. Where does the score end up? Because if it goes in the 30s and it is a shootout, it definitely favors TCU. If it's more of a grind-out game and it's lower scoring, 
um, probably favors Kansas State, even though I say that knowing that they're the two ugly games they've had. They lost to Tulane 17-10, low-scoring game, only beat Iowa State by one 10-9 game. So even now as I say that, maybe I'm regretting that. Maybe they both want to shoot out. I don't know. But um, definitely, you know, if TC speeds it up, I think it's to their advantage rather than the other way around. And they, and they face some teams, obviously, I think for three straight weeks, they faced a team that led the Big 12 in sacks. So they faced some good defensive lines. But just when I was kind of researching Kansas State, it seems like their secondary, I don't know if there are any stars back there. I think they lead the conference in interceptions. So it looks like they do a great job of making turning turning you over, making you forcing you into mistakes. TCU has maybe only turned the ball over three or four times, and most of those came, one was against Tarleton when they were up by 50 points. Another was a Hail Mary at the end of the, the first half against Kansas. So this is an offense that really has really, in my view, or depending on how you look at it, has really only turned the ball over twice. So I'm really interested to see can uh, Kansas State force them to turnovers? Can TCU remain efficient as well? But it's going to be the, definitely be the biggest defensive test they faced all season. One, one interesting note there. Kansas State, while they have tur- made teams turn the ball over like crazy in Manhattan, mm. they've yet to force a turnover in a road game. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, look, I was asked earlier this week um, who my offense and defensive players of the midseason are, right? You players of the year at midseason in the Big 12. And I, my choices are playing in this game. I went with Max Duggan for offensive player of the year, and he's, he's been phenomenal. What a good story he is. You know, um, lost the job and then got it back in the first game because of the injury. And he's just been phenomenal. But I'm not so sure. He, he's certainly not the best pro prospect. TCU's got a wide receiver who has, he's been off the charts. Electric. Good. Yeah, yeah. So, Quentin Johnston. Mm-hmm. Tell us about him a little bit. It, it was kind of crazy because he started the season, the first four games, relatively slow. I think he made – like his season high, those first four games might have been three catches, 30 yards, and things like that because they were doing such a great job of spreading the ball out. But as I think the stakes have kind of risen, the competition has gotten better, he's just kind of – he's shown what type of monster he is, man. He, he's great after the catch. He's a legit 6'3", 6'4". He's the type of guy that can make those highlight – Mawson on guys type of catches, but he's also dangerous after the catch. He's turned a curl route against Oklahoma State until a 30 or 40 yard game to set up that game tying touchdown. So he's big, he's strong, he's fast. Uh, Sonny Dice and the rest of the staff have really kind of pushed him in the offseason to not just make those highlight plays, but we want to see you make like those contested catches on third down to move the chain. So I think he's become more of a complete wide receiver. And now him and Max are on that same page. So he's averaging, what, 200 yards a game the last two weeks. So I think it's going to be – I'll be interested to see who Kansas State puts on to kind of slow him down. And then on defense, uh, King Felix. uh, Felix and DK Uzama, he's just been – He's everything that he's been built up to be. I mean, he was, he's been terrific throughout his career, but he's, he's, he's playing great. And this is the opponent he had the six or four, however way you want to look at it, sacks uh, against last season. So big game for him. The interesting thing about Felix is um, I asked him after one of the most recent games, I believe it was Texas Tech, they played at home, um, I asked him how if he thought he was getting extra attention this season from offensive lines. He flat out laughed at me, and I was like, well, what, what's so funny about this? And he said he had to go back and think. He could only think of two times all season he has not been double teamed uh, from offensive lines at defensive end. Um, and he still leads Kansas State with six or seven sacks, so he's getting after it. Um, that's that's crazy. But uh, I do want to ask Stephen this. How, why, why is Max Duggan so good this season? We've watched him all through the last couple years. I mean, he was okay, you know, as a freshman, okay as a sophomore. Then he gets benched. I figure that's the end of the story. And now he comes out, just kind of lucky he's even playing, and he's just killing all these people. Why, why is he so good? Um, I, I think it's the scheme, man. Like I said, they he says the offense is quarterback friendly, and they don't. 
I'm not going to say they don't ask to do him a lot because he will throw the ball down the field. He, he plays a big part with his legs in the run game. But I just think they do a great job of getting him in the rhythm. Like You'll probably see starting the game, they'll probably start it off with two or three of those little bubble screens on the sideline, maybe a drag or two. And once he completes those five or six passes and maybe does a, another run or two, he's really engaged. And he's just playing with great rhythm. I think he has a lot more confidence knowing that each week they're going to bring out a game plan. They're going to tailor, tailor the offense around his skill set. I think last year some people told me, hey, maybe one week we want to go up-tempo and do this and that, then they might switch it up next week. TCU does the same thing more or less every single week. They want to run the ball, of course, but the schemes, uh, the way they want to attack, all that stuff just remains consistent on week to week, and I think it's allowed Max to really get comfortable and play with a lot more confidence, and he's surrounded by a lot of great talent. Uh, Quentin Johnson as well, um, they have a lot of great receivers, Darius Davis, Tay Barber. I think Kendra Miller is one of the most underrated running backs in the, in the country as well, too. Uh, they had offensive lineman Steve Avila, who was AP midseason All-American. So he has a lot of talent around him, and the staff is just really doing a great job of just making him comfortable and making his job as easy as possible. If you'd have told me preseason that Adrian Martinez versus Max Duggan would be a uh, battle of potential mm. Heisman <laughs> candidates, I would have laughed in your face. Absolutely. But here we are. The marquee matchup. Mm. The marquee matchup. Those two guys. Adrian Martinez obviously having a great season. Deuce Vaughn, of course, um, uh, another terrific player for Kansas State. A lot of good players on both sides, which is why it is a marquee game this weekend. Okay, Stephen Johnson covers TCU for the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. Kellis Robinette covers Kansas State for the Wichita Eagle and Kansas City Star. Thank you very much, guys. Great conversation. Hey, this is Blair. There are several ways to access the Star Sports section. Let me tell you about a couple of them. There is Sports Pass. For $12.99 a month, you get unlimited digital access to all the Star Sports content, including beat writing, columns, features, pretty much everything we write. The deal renews monthly until you tell us to cancel. For $159.99 a year, you get everything the Star has to offer digitally, including sports and the E-Edition. Go to KansasCity.com and drop down to the bottom of the page where it says Start a Subscription for more information. Your support has never been more important. As always, thanks for reading and listening. Here is Big 12 Commissioner Brett Yormark. He officially took the job in August, and it's been a whirlwind of activity for him over the past few months. Nothing is more significant to the Big 12 than what happens with its next TV contract, and he talks about that along with several other topics. This meeting with reporters was part of a holding court press conference during Big 12 basketball media days. We have discussed it um, on a go-forward basis. And uh, it's critically important for us to elevate the women's game. And I think it's important for our media partners. So I think it'll be a great beginning. What are ways that you can do that? Well, I mean, I think through marketing, too. I mean, we're, we're you probably heard earlier, we're, we've gone through an organizational redesign. And one of the things I heard when I visited all the campuses is we need to have a, a share of voice, you know, both women's and the secondary sports, the Olympic sports. And um, our plan is to do that and to amplify and elevate and to you know, do uh, storytelling and, and you know, we've, hi we've hired a new uh, vice president, associate vice president of communications for both brand uh, and business. And his particular role is to elevate and amplify some of those human interest stories that are unfolding on campus, to spend more time on some of those sports that haven't gotten their fair due. Um, it's going to be a work in progress, but we're putting resources against it. Commissioner, what did you learn 
while you were out there visiting with the shareholders on, on campus? Did you, where did you get the feel for the unity of, of the Well, you know, family? what I learned, and I've said it before, one of my key takeaways is the incredible investment that, are, that has been made in, in student-athletes, in positioning student-athletes to be the best version of themselves. And uh, that was a key takeaway for me. Um, whether it's the mentoring, uh, the resources that are being afforded, the investments that are being made on campus. Um, and, you know, just the passion, the commitment you know, for college sports that, I've, that has unfolded, not only just during my listening and learning tour, but when I visited the schools, you know, for the recent football games. It's been, it's been incredible. Um, and I didn't grow up in that area. You know, I didn't have a lot of exposure to it. So for me, it's been all new, but I'm very energized by it. In fact, I'm more energized today than, I took, than when I took the job because I see the possibilities and the opportunities. Through all your meetings with the, with the groups, um, you, you sense a, a sense of unity. You've got four new coming in, two going out. You, you feel like the, the decision makers are unified moving forward. The alignment is, is fantastic. And in fact, I, I witnessed that a bit when I was going through the interview process mm-hmm. uh, last June. And then a couple of weeks ago, we hosted our, our first in-person board meeting since I've been the commissioner. And the alignment, the like-mindedness, the fact that we share the same mission and vision is great. And that includes, you know, the four new member institutions that are coming in July, which we're tr- extremely excited about. Commissioner, you mentioned during the football season uh, at the uh, media day that it was going to be about branding this, uh, that needed to get better. I'm sorry. The football media day, you yep. mentioned about the branding needed to get yes. better. How close are you to the point where you feel it's, it's moving in the right direction in one accord? Well, we're not there yet. In fact, yesterday we announced... Uh, uh, Translation is our new creative agency. They're working with LDWW. I felt the need for some creative firepower as we think about this brand. And I think what's going to unfold over the next couple of months is a seeding of the direction we're going in as we contempor- contemporize and modernize, uh, get a little bit you know, younger from the standpoint of who our audience will be. But next year, next July, when we formally welcome the four new member institutions, that's when I think you're going to visually be able to see the new Big 12 and all the work that's been done over the course of the next couple of months. When did you kind of make all those tours around the different Big 12 schools? Did that in my first three weeks. Uh, visited all the campuses, <laughs> met with all the key stakeholders, um, and now I'm doing a repeat visit during the football season. And by the end of the football season, I will have visited every campus again. Have you been to Texas and Oklahoma as well? Yes, I will. Yeah. Yep. On that I haven't been there yet. I'm visiting for football games. In the next month, I'll be on both campuses. On that initial tour, you didn't have OU in Texas, but you had the meetings last week. And as you're making decisions for the next couple of years, how do you balance them still being around, possibly through 2025, but knowing you've got four new members? They're going to be in. here through 25. They're, they, they, they've committed themselves in advance of me getting here, and they've reiterated that commitment, so they'll be here through the, you know, through the duration. And my relationship with both Texas and Oklahoma is, is very, very strong. And they are, they are full members, and we're looking forward to working with them. Commissioner, since you want to start taking the Big 12 a little bit more national now, uh, your recent trip to New York, is that indicative of maybe a market that you guys want to maybe establish yourself in more? Well, I think you're going to see us do media blitzes from time to time all over the country in major markets uh, where we can storytell and get on the consciousness of future student-athletes. I think that's a very big part of it. And last week's visit to New York was very, very successful, and I think you'll see us do more and more of that. But what does a 14-team football schedule look like? Well, it's, it's funny you should say that. So we had a call this morning. Uh, we will not have divisions. Uh, we'll announce the this next year's schedule in early December, which is pretty much 
when it has been done previously. And over a two-year period, each of the schools will, will play each other um, at least once. So um, excited about what that schedule will look like when we finally put it out. How do you work that out without divisions then, I guess? What's that? What else does that kind of look like? Well, I'm not ready to comment more than that just now. It'll be released next month. Or nine league games, though, still? Yes, nine, <laughs> nine league games. We'll announce it in late November, early December. Um, and I'm, I'm excited about what it'll look like. Rivalry, rivalries, rivalries preserved, we, you preserved. know, preserved, absolutely. Looking at geography, you know, obviously, you know, from a student athlete perspective and travel. So all those principles are part of the decision making, but we'll end up in a great place. Since we're at basketball, have you taken a look at what a 14 team league means for <clears throat> the basketball schedule? 18, eight, it'll be an 18 game schedule, uh, no different than what it is now. Um, and over a two-year period, you know, each school will play, um, you know, other members of the all the other members of the conference, both home and away. You thought five and eight is the uh, is a breakdown on that potentially. Yes, and and potentially, and we'll release that in December also, you so, know, for the go forward. And there's been plenty of reports that Oklahoma and Texas were trying to negotiate to get out. That's is those, any of those my, negotiations my conversations over, with Oklahoma and and Texas have all, always been about you know being great members until they leave, which is in 25, and the experience has been very positive so far. When you went into the negotiations with ESPN and Fox, was it simply a matter of having a number in your head, or what were you looking for from? Well, the, the economics matter, but I want a real partnership, and we have a great partnership with both, but everyone needs to step up their game. Uh, more marketing, more promotion, more support of our student athletes in all the right ways, more storytelling. Economics matter, though, uh, but it's those fringe benefits that you know make make a deal or don't make a deal. But we're getting to a pretty good place. And again, if we don't do a deal now, it's okay. In 16 months, we'll get back at it, and we'll work through that exclusive negotiating period. Are you still in the market for expansion if things are, you know? Well, as there? I've said before, and uh, you know, back in in July. We're open for business in every respect, expansion being a, a part of that also. If there's an opportunity that something presents itself that's truly additive and creates value, extends your geographic footprint, potentially puts us in a fourth time zone, why not? Uh, but it's got to be all about value creation. It's getting into that fourth time zone. Is that a real push or real Well, listen, carry? if we can offer continued scheduling flexibility for our media partners, we, we'd like to pursue it. But there's a lot that goes into that decision. And, um, you know, again, we're vetting out any and all possibilities right now. How about, how about future championship sites? Have you, are you, you know, you've only been on the job for a few months now. But, but um, well, I mean, listen, here for a while. We, we, we love Kansas City. Um, prior to me coming on board, we extended through 27. Uh, the women come over next year in 24. Um, so for the foreseeable future, we're here. Uh, but I would like to create some tentpole events, maybe outside of our championships, that give us an opportunity to showcase who we are and where we're going in major markets across this country in an effort, obviously, to nationalize this conference. So everything is under you know, consideration right now. But we're thrilled being here. Um, I've heard wonderful things about this tournament, and for the foreseeable future, we'll be here. And parochial Dallas question, what about the football championship? We extended the football championship right. through 25 and excited to be uh, in Dallas. It's a great market. AT&T Stadium is a world-class venue, and they do great things for us. I mean, do you, could you see going outside your footprint for either football or basketball championships? We have not discussed that as of yet. Happy where we are. What, what does nationalizing the conference look like? 
I want student athletes from coast to coast to vote yes for this conference. Right now they vote for schools. I want to give them another reason to vote for this conference. I want them to recognize us and like all the things we're doing and where we're going um, and be on their consciousness. Right now I'm not sure that's happening. But hopefully, you know, in a, in a period of time, you know, we'll, we'll have that dynamic. In the previous life, you may have known Eric Adams a little bit, the, uh, the mayor of New York City. He had a uh, recent quote about Kansas not having a brand. I want to get your thoughts on that. Well, if, if you saw what we did in New York, I gave him a Kansas jersey. And he knows Kansas is a brand now. <laughs> and yes, I do know Eric. He's a good friend of mine, and we've known each other for years. He was the borough president when I was in Brooklyn. Um, so when I was here last in Lawrence for game day, um, the mayor uh, came up to me and said, hey, Brett, what happened with Eric Adams? What's up with the Kansas not being a brand? So I called Eric on the spot. And I said, Eric, we need to do a little photo op. I need to teach you that Kansas is a brand. And he obliged. And, uh, you know, he's, he's a good man. And he realizes it was a, a misstatement. And it's been corrected. <laughs> That'll do it for today. Thanks to our Sportsbeat KC production staff of Monty Davis, Randy Mason, George Howard, and Jeff Rosen. Tip of the cap to Callis Robinette of the Wichita Eagle and Kansas City Star and Stephen Johnson of the Fort Worth Star-Telegram for sharing their insights on the K-State TCU game this weekend. We should mention that game kicks off at 7 p.m. and will be televised by Fox Sports 1. Morning Sports Edition was 52 pages today, full of information about college basketball and football, the baseball playoffs, the Chiefs, Royals, you name it, it was there. Go to liveedition.kansascity.com for more information. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon with another Sportsbeat KC.